Hi there. A quick note before you start listening to this episode. As the podcast has evolved, we've come to focus more directly on the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion in organizational life. The episode you're currently listening to focuses more broadly on the topic of creating purposeful organizations. So if that's what you're after, then listen on. But if you're looking for more DEI-focused content, we suggest skipping forward a few episodes and looking for the ones titled Inclusion at Work. Happy listening. And you're never too small. You're never too young. You're never too low in the company hierarchy to, to make a difference. What you have to do is, is be courageous, stand up, find your community with, within your space and advocate for that climate environment, that, that net zero emissions, the future that you want. Welcome to the Leaders for Good podcast, where we celebrate and learn from the leaders making positive change for people, the planet and their organisations. We also talk to world-class experts who share their insights, knowledge and tools to help you make it happen. At Leaders for Good, we believe all organisations can profitably integrate doing good into their business. Welcome back to the Leaders for Good podcast. Today's conversation is with May House. May is a former solicitor, but the topic of discussion today is in light of her role as economic analyst and campaigner for the Australian Conservation Foundation. And in this conversation, we delve into the ACF's Triple R framework, unpacking in a tangible, actionable way how businesses of all shapes and sizes can recover, rebuild and renew in the face of recent trying times, but doing so in a way that not only helps the Australian economy become more resilient, but also in a way that bolsters our climate and nature positive impact. This is a really fun conversation. We thoroughly enjoyed having it and we think you'll enjoy listening. And just before we dive in, a reminder, if your organization is looking to have a more positive impact in the world, looking to do a little more for people and planet in a way that is also profitable, you can contact us for more information at hello at leadersforgood.org. Without further ado, we bring you this conversation with May House. Welcome to the Leaders for Good podcast. Today we are joined by the wonderful May House, who works at ACF, the Australian Conservation Foundation, and we're going to have a conversation about how organisations can do more good for the environment, something that I'm particularly passionate about. So we'll start with our first question for you, which is how do you describe the work that you do? Oh, that's a big question to kick off with. So I'm the economic analyst and campaigner at the Australian Conservation Foundation. And my role is fundamentally to campaign for systematic changes in the way that our economy runs to look after the environment and make sure that we're stewarding the land in, in a sustainable and healthy way. So I, at the moment, the projects that I'm working on are around business and how business has a fundamental role as a force for nature and what business should be doing to be able to look after the world that we live in. I'm 
particularly interested in, and most of my work at the moment is focused on the finance sector as, um, you know, the holders of society's money. They have the, the power to direct money for good or direct money for bad fossil fuel destroying projects. So it's, it's my role to make sure that we're working with the finance sector to ensure that investments are there for the future, invested in climate solutions and invested in uh, net zero emissions um, projects and, uh, and companies. Beautiful. That's right. There's <laughs> so many, so many things we, we need to get into today. <laughs> um, before that, just curious, what led you to this work? What was your, what was your path into this? Oh, so I was working in the legal profession for seven years while I studied law and psychology. And I was um, coming to Sydney to renew my job as a, as a lawyer, but I went overseas to Honduras and Central America for a year in, in a bit of a break. And while I was in Honduras, I went to a tiny little island called Utila and um, stayed there for three months just diving and I noticed three things that really stuck with me and has been a fundamental shift in my life one the the reef was bleached to smithereens and as gorgeous as it was it was just dying there was a lack of reef sharks and uh, my friends who were like had lived on the island for years, had said that this was the least they'd ever seen and it had come from overfishing. And the last thing was in, in Honduras, it's very close to the um, great garbage patch that circulates mm. uh, around the Americas. And you could see the plastic pollution right in front of you. You'd have to um, kick and dive and grab some plastic, put it in your BCD, take it up, mm. put it in the bin. And it was those three things that really fundamentally changed my view on how we're interacting with the planet and what we're doing as a society to create uh, an unhealthy future for the next generation and for mm. the, the land that we live and sustain from. So when I came back to, to Sydney and I was working as a lawyer, I was really interested in making shifts within my work to um, ensure that we were protecting the land that we were living on and looking after it. Mm. But I felt for me that the law works a little bit too slowly and works within like traditional realms. And I'm, that's not the case um, for every piece of law, but it was just the, the, the field that I was working in wasn't quite where I wanted to be. So I... Um, found a job with Greenpeace for the federal election just on a, on a contract and took a massive risk, um, upended my life and moved into the environmental sector and I immediately fell in love with it and when um, this role at ACF came up, it kind of melded my commercial acumen and um, campaigning skills mm. to be that uh, champion for businesses being a force for nature as well, which is something that I'm fundamentally passionate about. Yeah. That's awesome. And and just to sort of round this out and uh, and kind of put some color on it, how do you, what do you see the role as business being in the world? So, you know, um you're you're you work with organizations, you work in the finance sector to help them have a, you know, more sustainable impact. Um 
what's your view on the role of business? How should businesses be thinking about themselves as entities and their 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 place in society? Do you have any um, any sort of pearls of wisdom on that? Yeah, I've got a few thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I'll just take it back to a step. I thought I think as people, what our fundamental purpose is in life is to be able to create a sustainable, healthy future for future generations, but also make sure that we're looking after the planet for ourselves. We thrive off nature in mm. whatever we do, however we work, however we live, we have um, the earth to provide us with the benefits that we need. For business, the law for some um, respects will treat and consider a business and a company as a person. So for me, I think that if we're going to treat businesses as a, as a person, their fundamental purpose then also has to be in, in looking after and being stewards of, of country and um, mm. protecting, protecting nature. So not making a short-term investment or a quick uh, business decision that is getting some monetary benefit back at the destruction of, mm. of our land but ensuring that we're working together to create a healthy society for community and, and for, for each um, company's further legacy as well. That's great. I've not heard that framing before, but I think you're spot on. If we, you know, if, if you looked at the actions of an individual and they were doing the same thing some certain organisations are doing, you would think that person was unhinged or a monster <laughs> and and there would be legal, legal ramifications and there would be legal ramifications but for some reason we 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 don't view companies and organizations in the same light all the time so absolutely that's a really that's a really nice frame and i think you've got to treat society with the same like the lens we work together mm. from governments from uh, politicians from community from individuals from business we're all working together and we need to be working together to take us to a future society that we all benefit from that we mm. all enjoy that's fit for purpose and fit for everybody so i think if we're going to treat um you know businesses as people we must treat we must keep them in the same lens and and work together to create the society we want yeah absolutely um and uh, the the stat i've heard recently uh, was that we we're we're producing and we're consuming at 1.5 times the planet's regenerative capacity so the the path we're on at the moment is unsustainable um it's you know <laughs> pretty pretty black and white from that perspective so there's such a need for change and there's such a need to, to think about how we do what we do differently. So, mm. um, yeah, I love that you love that you're getting involved with the work you've got, you're doing. That's awesome. And I think to people like us, it seems really obvious. Mm. Um, and obviously it's conversations we're having all the time and there's lots of people that are super passionate about this, but it's not easy. No, it's not um, easy. Why is it so hard? Oh, I think it's hard because of the the way we look at things. Uh, I think at the moment, the the framing around the world is let's take something, use the resources we have, discard it. And we, we work on like an extraction basis. We extract, we move on. And instead of thinking about things in a regenerative circular frame, instead of um, recognizing that there are planetary boundaries, mm the framing that we work in doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily conducive um to acting sustainable sustainably and so i think it's yeah trying to 
trying to work towards that shift and trying to work towards that um, balance by making sure that we're moving to net zero emissions by 2050 mm -hmm. and making sure that we're um, stemming things like biodiversity loss and working together to restore nature and, mm. and keep building up the fundamentals that we rely upon. Mm. Yeah, great. And one of the things you're doing at ACF to help businesses with that is something you've called the Triple R campaign. Can yes. you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. So you, you would obviously recognise that 2020 has had highs and, and lows. We've had the horrendous bushfires in Australia. We've had, um, you know, a, a pandemic that has fundamentally shifted the way our society works. And as we come out of 2020 and we, we work to restore... Um, the economy and work to, to, to build it back up. Um, ACF have developed a, a framework for what good policy would be under recover, rebuild, renew. Mm -hmm. And we've replicated something for businesses on how businesses can be working to make us a climate and nature positive economy that is fair for all Australians and creates resilience. So we've created this agenda called nature is everyone's business. And that agenda is up online. And what it does is it sets out steps that all businesses across all sectors and of all sizes can take to make sure that they're acting in line with those principles and being a, a critical part in this recovery towards a climate and nature positive economy. Mm. And one of the things I love about that is it's not theoretical. So there's really clear direction in it for organisations yep. to take. I'm just wondering if you could give us a couple of examples mm. of the type of things that are in that. Yeah, so we've got a few um, steps that businesses from small, medium and large businesses can take. So if you're a small business, let's say you are you run your own hairdressing company or you're a, um, a, a, a local cafe, some of the actions that you can take, the, the first one being a very fundamental step, is to pub publicly advocate for a climate and nature positive recovery mm. um, with ACF by putting a recover, rebuild, renew poster in, in your shop premises or on your website and being part of the movement. Mm. So uh, businesses can contact us and, and get a um, poster that they can put up in, in their shop premises. And I think once they've taken that step, the other actions that they can take from an operational lens is moving towards 100% um, renewable energy or energy efficiency within mm -hmm. their appliances. And then with their um, super funds, so every business would have a default super fund for their employees, asking those super funds to uh, divest from fossil fuels by 2030. Mm. And we've got <coughs> some steps online on how businesses can do that. And again, that's set up in our um, Nature is Everyone's business agenda. Then there's also um, medium-sized businesses. So not, uh, I'd say you'd, they'd be ones that are potentially national companies, but they're not, you know, publicly recognised. Um, they're not at the forefront of the sector. They're, they're in between the, the small and the big, t the top tier business lens. So the actions that um, those businesses can take is to identify the importance of nature within their businesses by uh, realising what natural capital and ecosystem services their business relies upon and advocating for uh, its protection in a public manner. Mm. That's an initial step in that respect. Could you just give us an example of that? What might, uh, what might that look like? 
identifying. Yeah. Mm. So what might those be? Yeah. So for example, let's say you have a um, grocery store. Mm -hmm. You'd obviously be heavily reliant upon pollination services. So you need pollination to be able to uh, grow crop. Mm -hmm. Pollination services are from your bees. And so you need to be able to recognise that that's an important piece of biodiversity that stems into your business. Mm. But biodiversity loss is a significant threat that's developing. So it's, it's recognising that that is what your business is relying upon and making sure you're being publicly um, out and, and advocating for their protection in the spheres of influence that you have. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So looking for the direct risks to your business yes, based on nature and, and therefore supporting that in whatever way you can. Absolutely. And building up that business case yep. mm. for nature protection that goes beyond just climate. Yep. Because uh, the the crises that we face are not individual crises. We, we're obviously... Um, at the forefront of, of climate damage and that's mm. a up and come uh, not an up and coming it's an issue that's solely here and, and is surely emerged by now but the the nature crisis is also kind of envelopes that at work as well and you know it's something to for businesses to be aware of and in the same vein that the climate crisis mm. has physical transition and reputational risks for yep. business those risks also lie for for biodiversity loss as well mm. What I love about what you've shared so far is there's direct um, economic um, moves that businesses of all levels can take to, mm. to 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 advocate with their dollar as well. So moving your super fund is a is a great example, and that's something we can do on an individual level and, and an organisational level. Um, picking more sustainable suppliers in your supply chain. Uh, you know the example you just gave with the with the supermarkets and the pollination services. I'm sure there are some people doing it in a more you know sustainable, uh, ecologically sound way than others. Um, and I think when more and more businesses start shifting to uh, more sustainable um, supply chain that that is an incentive for everybody to move in that direction and and it really sort of serves to change the broader conversation so yeah I love it absolutely we're all integrated we all work together so mm -hmm. when yeah. one um, business ticks over that sets a tidal wave mm. for more businesses to keep acting within the same trajectory so yeah business plays a fundamental role in this economic recovery and being a force for good in this respect yeah um just just to go back quickly there are that there are you know so many different actions that different businesses can take and from mm. a from a medium-sized business lens it's you know moving to 100 percent renewable energy yep. um setting up the direction to move towards net zero emissions mm. with you know science-based targets and there's a science-based target initiative that businesses can sign up to online but i think um there's real power in our large multinationals um, also making steps in this right direction mm. because you would know that once a, a, a business like a bank, let's say um, ANZ, for example, or, or NAB or CBA or Westpac, once they make a decision, that can fundamentally flow on to other businesses as well. It's, it's the same with... Um, you know, the grocery stores, once Woolworths makes a decision that can affect its supply chain and mm. affect the way our economy works. Mm. So not only have we got steps for the the small businesses and the medium businesses who are making the first steps towards this transition, but we've also outlined what these top tier businesses can do as well. And 
they um, involve actions like ending their relationships with fossil fuels. Mm. So for, for the banks, that means divesting from thermal coal projects and companies by 2030, mm -hmm. uh, not investing in any new coal, oil and gas projects at all. There's absolutely no room for that in, in keeping in line with the Paris Agreement mm -hmm. and making sure that they divest from all um, oil and gas projects and companies in line with the Paris Agreement as well. And then, you know, other steps like making sure their advocacy is in line with the climate and nature positive recovery. Again, being in line with the science-based targets and moving to net zero emissions by 2050. And uh, similarly to the medium-sized businesses, making sure that they're analysing the importance of nature within their business and publicly advocating for its protection with strong targets at the COP next year for, for biodiversity. So some really important actions that businesses can take and, and must be taking. Mm. When we spoke previously, you you raised this concept of stakeholder capitalism, and and you, you shared a little a bit about how you're changing the conversation within organisations. You know what what are the, what are some of the mechanisms, I guess, that you're using to to get into organisations? What do the conversations look like? Who are you having them with? And and I guess what are some of the um what are some of the messages and the points that are really switching the light bulbs on, I suppose, uh, for, for businesses that maybe haven't considered this as deeply as they might in the past? What, what, does, that, what does that look like? Yeah, so um, ACF commissioned a report earlier this year with um, analysis from EY that looked at what the drivers are for nature protection um, within businesses and what's really pushing them to, to move in the right direction to net zero emissions and stemming biodiversity loss. And what we found was that there's a real trend to move away from shareholder primacy as the, the, the sole corporate governance model. Mm. And especially as COVID has, is transitioning um, and restructuring the way we look at business and our economy, it's pushing the idea of stakeholder capitalism much, much further. Now, stakeholder capitalism... Um, what it looks at is the seven different stakeholders that are transforming the business um, space and those stakeholders being uh, community, first and foremost, customers, which is no surprise, um, investors and shareholders, similarly something that we'd all recognise. But from a broader perspective, there's government, there's regulators, there's suppliers, which we've talked about previously, mm. and employees. And mm. I think that's really interesting to note mm. is how employees are, are changing the conversation internally within a company as well. Um, the research that uh, was noted within the report shows that I think roughly 200% um, there's been a 200% increase in conversations by employees around the importance of climate action and environmental protections within their workspace. Wow. And the research is showing that people who don't or companies that don't align with the values of their employees are going to see higher attrition rates, particularly from Gen Zen, Gen Zed, who have that really strong connection mm. to the environment. We can see with the school strikes how important protecting the climate is. So it's a really interesting move away from this, um, you know, 
we, we extract, we get a quick buck to thinking about how each stakeholder has a different perspective and a different drive pushing businesses towards being a force for nature. And that's really interesting on the employees one because that's what we've heard so much from leaders over the last six months. They're saying this is the first time we've got employees actually telling us we have to make these changes and yeah. employee activism becoming such a real risk. And we see that really frequently now. Absolutely. You, like you've seen it with Microsoft recently as well um, from, a, from a climate lens where employees have started conversations and when they've made decisions that haven't been aligned with their views have actively... Um, protested, have actively spoken out within their workspaces. Same with Amazon, mm. um, I think, a year or two years ago, where a group of highly specialised engineers were unhappy with the decisions that were being made by the executive and so went on a strike for climate with far-reaching implications that mm. pushed Amazon to um, meet the climate demands that the, the engineers were making. So... It's a really interesting lens, not only from, you know, an environmental perspective, but um, a broader perspective as well around, around this idea of being leaders for good. Mm. Uh, you you might have recognised about AMP earlier this year, and it's yep. a completely different, different topic. But um, when there were those allegations, the Me Too allegations that were made, uh, a group of um, women within the organisation rallied together and held a town hall mm. that kick-started and pushed this movement to hold the executive to account and that had far-reaching implications and shareholders started making noise the media started making noise and it was all the stakeholders together that came and you know pushed a decision that was in line with their views with mm. with within the um employees um demands and it's yeah, it's something that I, I think we're going to see a continued rise in and a space for companies to be really um, really resonant on and really clear about what do my employees want. Mm -hmm. I have to listen to them. I have to listen to all my stakeholders and and see where the movement is going. I, I love that. And and it's a really hopeful message as well, The the fact that a single individual in an organisation or a small group of individuals in an organisation can really cause a, a giant company to sit up and take notice and, and, and start doing things differently. Um, not in the climate change space, but um, a lot of people would have seen the, the recent Netflix documentary, Tristan Harris's documentary, the, um, uh, it's not the social dilemma, social dilemma. Okay. I was thinking of the other one as well, but um, you know, he, he was, you know, um, an individual in that organization that, that noticed some of the, the, the behaviors towards optimizing for addiction and optimizing for, you know, people spending more and more time on these platforms. And he created a presentation that went viral in that organization, which, which caused Google to sort of sit up and take notice. And now he's, you know, the, uh, the forefront of this movement for humane technology, which is, which is fantastic. And same thing with that, that, that group at Amazon, it's, it, it's, the internet and and social media as much as we do malign it sometimes is providing a platform for anybody to have a voice and if that message is strong and if that message is true and if that message is right it'll it'll get amplified people will people will will circulate it and and companies will have to sit up and take note and i i think that i think that's really hopeful and really exciting for the future and you're never too small you're never too young you're never too low in the company hierarchy mm -hmm. to to make a difference what you have to do is is 
be courageous, stand up, find your community with, within your space and advocate for that climate environment, that, that net zero emissions, the future that you want. And I think it's a really important message for employees to take away. But, mm. but to know that they're not alone in this space, that mm. there are um, members of community, there are consumers, there are all these stakeholders that are moving in, in this direction. Yeah. The narrative has shifted. Businesses are aware of that the physical, those transition, those reputational risks that are there if, uh, and also the opportunities that are available from shifting to this new regenerative economy. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's a matter of not being afraid anymore and just being steadfast in your convictions. And, and the businesses that are going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, win out in the long run, I think, are the businesses that are going to embrace this challenge from their people and this 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 raising of issues from their people and not suppress it, not push it down, not persecute those individuals. But these people are raising key risk. They're raising opportunities. They're, they're, they're our biggest ally and we should be doing all we can to empower and embolden that conversation with our organizations and actively reward the people that are, that are bringing this up. So, I, I you know, th that's something that I think is a, a key mindset shift for, yeah. for the exec at a lot of organizations rather than seeing it as like this this annoying thing over here that we have to deal with actually that's our biggest opportunity for for creating a, a, a really high performing really sustainable organization and i think oh sorry i was just gonna say and i, I think it's um it's one of those moments similar to the kodak moment in, in the late night late 90s early 2000s um you can tell my timing is on the point. <laughs> <laughs> but the Kodak moment when there was this real shift away from film um, and moving into to digital cameras where Kodak didn't look at the opportunity, didn't look at where the world was moving yeah. and stuck steadfast in their decision to stay with the technology that they were banking on. Yeah. And Kodak is virtually non-existent anymore other players came in took the space and i think that's a real lesson for businesses to take now with stakeholders moving in the direction mm. pushing for for net zero emissions making um space for new opportunities that's where businesses need to follow that's where businesses move, need to move and smart clever businesses will take that initiative and take that step even deeper on that Kodak story, I actually heard somebody talking about this relatively recently, so it was top of mind. The 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 digital um, photography technology was actually developed within Kodak. Like they were they were key innovators, so they they were the ones that, that spun it up and they had the technology <laughs> there. And then they were just like, "Now nah, this is crazy. This will never fly." And then Sony and other people picked it up, obviously, and the rest is history. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. Was there anything else you wanted to share around the EY report? Any other key outtakes that it's worth our listeners hearing about? It's really fundamental, I think, for, for all businesses to start um, having a look not only in terms of, of climate, but to look in terms of the emerging risks that are coming in terms of biodiversity losses, as I mm. mentioned earlier. Um, climate, climate change is obviously something that's quite established. And, and what our report has shown is that... Um, the, the, the risks and opportunities around nature and biodiversity are likewise growing. And I think um, within the next few years, we'll see a, a similar wave around um, transitioning towards um, protecting our natural resources as well and making sure that we're not acting in a destructive manner. So I think it's um, 
something to be aware of for companies and mm. something to start thinking about what their impact is on, on biodiversity and how biodiversity fuels their business as well. Mm. Um, I would encourage all listeners to, to have a read of the report and they can um, access that at acf.org.au forward slash business underscore four underscore nature. Perfect. Great. So question then, we've talked a lot about what businesses should be doing. Are there any businesses that you really admire that are doing really well in this space? We like to try and celebrate organisations or individuals that are doing really great things. Mm. Yeah, I think that there are some businesses that are definitely moving in the right direction. Um, there's still a, a long way to go and and um, we need to celebrate the, the right steps, but we also need to recognise that there's still shifts that, that need to happen. I think um, some of the exciting things that we're seeing, particularly in the superannuation space, is um, companies like Hesta and um, I think it's Seabus uh, moving away from fossil fuels and, and moving into um, making their portfolio align with net zero emissions by 2050. And we're seeing that from, um, you know, mainstream super funds. But I think the real um, catalyst for that has been the push from uh, new and emerging super funds like Future, Future Super and Australian Ethical who have paved this way for, um, you know, a climate safe, a fossil uh fuel-free investment portfolio and, and the shift in in consumers moving to those um, super funds is sparking other super funds to get on board um, and making the shifts within their own business. So I think that's a really exciting space to watch and um, we, we've seen it, I think, within the past few few weeks, uh, um, McVee and Rest, uh, I'm not sure if you're aware of the case, there was a 23-year-old mm. who brought a case against uh, Rest superannuation for um, not considering climate risks within their portfolio. Interesting. And it settled on the doorstep with Rest, I believe, um, making the switch to be net zero emissions by 2050. Wow. Which is, you know, incredible to see a young person step up, go through the arduous process of filing a suit, um, engaging with this this behemoth super fund and being able to have a really constructive conversation mm. where he's pushed um, and engaged with a, a, a super fund that holds, you know, millions of dollars for hundreds and thousands of people to be right bang where the future is moving. And mm. I think that's a really exciting development in this space as well. Future Super has come up quite a few times actually in our podcast. And mm. it's really interesting that we're at a stage where you have to have these new entrants that come to actually make some of the more established players take notice. And we've seen that in quite a few, few different industries mm. and sectors where it is. It's really these new entrants that are driving that change. So loving watching that happen. Yeah, it's, it's funny how not only, you know, these stakeholders um, can push internally, but how peers mm. can really um, start a race to the top. And mm. we've seen that across um, environmental campaigns before where businesses are seeing how their competitors are doing and wanting to match their actions, if not beat their actions. And I think it's, yeah, so Future Super is making waves in Australian ethical and making waves in the superannuation space. Love it. Fantastic. Okay, May, a few closing questions, if you don't mind, uh, just to let the listeners get to know you a little bit better. Of um, course. 
what do you obsess about on evenings and weekends? What are your what are your hobbies or passion projects? Oh, when it's not thinking about the climate, um, I am a aerial uh, silk artist. So what? yeah, I have I don't even know what that is. What's an uh, I would like to say it's like Cirque du Soleil, but it's not. Essentially, the silks that kind of fall from the ceiling, um, they're in a bit of a hammock. Some people might know it as um, uh, aerial yoga, but my, the work that I do is a little bit different. It, it's like a dancing style in the hammocks. So, yeah, I, I'll fling myself up into the ceiling and then drop all the way to the floor, and I'll do that on, the, on some evenings. But I'm also um, a scuba diver. I'm a professional scuba diver and nice. a roller skater. I feel like May has just won the closing questions. You definitely <laughs> have. A professional scuba diver. A professional scuba diver. I, um, yeah, became a professional three years ago. I did one open course and fell in love with it. And yeah. that was it. I just didn't stop. How many dives have you done? 250. Wow. Yeah. I'm about to do another 10, about to go away on a holiday just oh, to where dive. where are you going? Lord Howe Island. Oh, oh nice. Yeah. Um, I'm really, really excited for it. Thankfully, the borders have reopened to be able to get there. I'm super jealous. I haven't scuba dived in years and years. I did the I did the thing like when I went backpacking. I did my you know, paddy certificates and yeah, all the yeah. rest of it and did a bunch of dives and, and I loved it as well. In Koh Tao, Thailand? No, no, I did it in... Um, Good guess. Yeah, it was, <laughs> that was I, where I did, I did mine. Yeah. I, did, <laughs> I got I did, one. I did dive there. I did dive there. I saw a whale shark there, which was oh, amazing. Oh, I am so it, envious. I've never seen a whale shark and I'm desperate. WA in Ingaloo. I know. It was uh, It was pretty incredible. It was... Uh, you just looked... We looked around and this thing kind of as big as a bus was there. <laughs> and it's... It, it, you'd think it'd be terrifying, but they're so... They're peaceful. so peaceful and yeah. gentle. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was outstanding. But, and I uh, think it's the same with most sharks. And I put a caveat on that there are definitely some scary sharks sure. but like reef sharks are yeah, just beautiful. the most beautiful peaceful animals and they just get such a bad rap for no reason you can yeah. happily sit there and watch them all day yeah ag agreed and even the sharks that are dangerous i i very much take the view that we're in their house <laughs> like we're the ones that are not meant to be there so um yeah anyway absolutely all good yeah wonderful i think we could have that conversation yeah, for yeah. a long time <laughs> we'll, move yeah, yeah. we'll move on we'll move on so Obviously, you're very passionate about the environment. Mm. Any other causes that you'd like our audience to look into? Oh, that's a great question. Um, there's a few other causes that I'm particularly passionate about. Uh, Amelia Telford from Seed Mob, she runs an absolutely incredible, and it is climate related, let me put this out there, mm. but an incredible climate related movement. Um, bringing together First Nations voices and to, pr to protect land, to um, stop it from fracking, um, stop companies from fracking the land, and also to protect uh, it from climate damage. Obviously, mm. First Nations people have had stewardship over the land and country for generations, and we need to pay respects to their knowledge and their wisdom. And I think the work that Seed Mob are doing are incredible and just yeah, very passionate about that. Cool. But on a completely unrelated, non-environment, non-climate movement, um, really passionate um, about stopping street harassment and workplace harassment. Mm. And there's some um, also in some incredible work being done by young women at It's Not a Compliment and also Justice Connect working on work harassment as well. So really important, I think, for businesses to start thinking about how they can educate their staff and go beyond education to have meaningful intervention where it's necessary to stop, you know, things that shouldn't be happening in, in this day and age. 
Yeah, amazing. And we'll make sure to include links to those in the show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. And in your own life, what's one of the biggest changes or the most recent changes you've made to more sustainable living in your in your personal world? Mm, in my personal world, it's a good one. I think it comes back to getting involved in the movement. Mm. I think that's the, the biggest action one can take is being involved, becoming an advocate, becoming an activist and raising your voice. There's mm. such a community of people out there standing up to protect the, the land that we live on, standing up to protect the planet and our people from climate damage. And I think that's a really important and powerful step that people can take. And it's something that has changed my life thoroughly. Taking that first step into, into um, advocacy and campaigning has then meant I've taken so many other fundamental steps and really built a community of strong people around me. Mm. Um, and I am so grateful for having done something that was a scary move, but a really impactful decision. That's, that's, that's awesome. The, the more people who speak up on issues and the more people who share their voice and, 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 and speak out on, on, on particular causes, the, the more the, the culture changes around them. You Absolutely. Know. It changes the narrative completely when people band together. And mm -hmm. we've seen it time and time again from a um, multitude of issues, social, social progressive issues. It's mm. when people come together that real change happens. And that's what I'm really excited to see in this space as well. Yeah. I, I just uh, I noticed the other day it was melbourne cup just passed and and a lot more people this year on on facebook and on on social media sort of saying you know what i'm 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 not on board with this mm. i'm not i'm not okay with this not to and the cup yeah exactly yeah. and and yeah slowly but surely the, the the ship's turning on that one absolutely any parting thoughts any asks of the audience and and where can people find you and, and reach out if they're if they're moved to do so yeah i think if um People want to learn more about the work we're doing at the Australian Conservation Foundation. They can go to www.acf.org.au. And if they particularly want to find out about the work we're doing in the business space, there's two different websites they can go to. It's www.acf.org.au forward slash business. And if they want to read the reports that I've mentioned here, they can go to www.acf.org.au forward slash business <laughs> underscore for underscore nature. And that will give you uh, links to the Forces for Nature report yep. and links to the Nature is Everyone's business agenda. Uh, if people um, are really interested in getting in touch for, for more information, they can send an email to contact us at acf.org.au and just flag it. That's to me. That's May House. Or you can connect with me directly on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash I-N forward slash Malia. It's M-A-Y-L-E-A-H House, H-O-U-S-E. Cool. Um, we'll include links to all of those in the show notes as well. So uh, no need to no need to write them down. We'll we'll uh, we'll provide the links. Um, mate, thank you so much. That was uh, that was such a fun conversation and um, some really valuable topics and food for thought for people out there. So um, we hope you've enjoyed it too. Um, until next time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode useful, the best way to support us and spread the message is by telling a friend or a colleague. You can also give us a rating or a comment on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Leaders for Good and how you can start making positive change, head on over to leadersforgood.org and join our free community.